I just heard my name, Scott. Uh, last time I was here was maybe, I don't know, three, four months ago. I was here with my wife, Heather. And um, it is a joy to be here uh, in a series that has raised a lot of questions and inspired some and triggered others. And it's been a fruitful time as a leader. As a leader, you want to know, are we getting through to anyone? Is anybody listening? Uh, the great thing in this restoration series is people are listening and leaning in. And um, it is a joy. Before I pray, just to, yeah, I want to honor the community I'm in. Like, you probably know this. Karen was here. I don't see her in the room right now. Um, she preached a couple weeks ago. She wrote the devotion for all six locations for this Sunday. It's a great resource. Uh, you are, you know, Silas is such a thought leader around all things theology at Bethany and including our work on race and racial justice. Alicia Wasink. I mean, you have pioneers and pilgrims, thought leaders and disciples who have been not just impacting Bethany Northeast, but all of greater Bethany. So it is a privilege to be with, yeah, I could go on. There's more of you that are big contributors to the greater Bethany. I send greetings from the mothership, the, the mainland. Uh, you are not alone, Bethany Northeast. And uh, just know that you, um, you labor not in vain. I hope today that all of us together be in equal parts inspired uh, and maybe in some ways convicted, uh, encouraged of where God is leading us, where this conversation around race and truth and gospel-centered lives would change the conversations we have tomorrow morning, change the conversations we have, those of us that are raising kids or with our roommates. Um, I think God's got something to say through Acts 15 to us as a, as a church, certainly for me as a leader. Hopefully, uh, together, we'll, we'll be learners together. So let me pray and we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you so much for this community. We thank you for Bethany Northeast and just for their worship, God, their service, their fellowship. Uh, Lord, we know that um, this is a good church, and you've done good things here. Lord, would you open us up today, our, our, our eyes and our ears and mostly our hearts, God, would you help us make that 18-inch journey from the stuff that we think about to, to the places that we feel you in our heart, in our stomach, in our spirit, God, we want to, um, to reconnect with where your word is speaking to our lives. And so, God, we know you're present here. Help us be aware of it. Help us hear uniquely in our own lives how you want to use this text to help grow us. In your great name we pray. Amen. So, we're preaching Acts 15. The title for my sermon today is called Restoration Results. And the main idea from Restoration Results is this, that following Jesus will transfigure our relationships and our structures through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And um, I you know, kind of say tongue-in-cheek in regards to this series as you know, people are listening, people are leaning in. There's been a lot of feedback. There's been a lot of um, unequal parts encouragement and discouragement. And for me, as I turn to Acts 15, 
you know, we've been using Acts as a bit of a guiding light for the series. We started in Revelation, kind of where we're aiming at. Every tribe, nation, tongue gathered around the center point of Christ. And then we've been looking at the church, Acts 2, Pentecost, you know, people speaking in native tongues and not dominant culture. Uh, Last week was, uh, so I did a great job in Acts 10, looking at Peter and Cornelius and the power of the gospel to, to form new relationships and break social divides. And then today, Acts 15, the Jerusalem council that like okay this should be a this should be a season of fruitfulness for the church the spirit's doing amazing things the gospel's growing but bam conflict exists exists uh, uh, needing to have a corrective of theology exists having people with disparate voices and who are we going to listen to exists and even right after this in Acts 16 Paul and Barnabas break fellowship and it's, you know, maybe this is discouraging for you. For me, it's encouraging to see what the early church was going through. It helps normalize the fact that even in gospel-centered lives and in gospel-centered in, uh, institutions, conflict will exist. There will be a push and a pull for where we're going to lean in and be, be shaped by God. And I think why I find that encouraging is because it has been a season of a lot of conflict. And for many, uh, a time of of discouragement, but to see in Acts 15 how, how leadership was forming the church, how listening was forming the church, how lives transformed. I was like, okay, yeah, I want to be part of a church like that. I want to be part of a church that's being formed not just by our traditions, but by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And yes, conflict will exist, but as leadership emerges and, and listening practice happen and our life change starts to flow out of this new work of the Spirit to disarm structures that diminish the, the image of God and others, it's like, okay, there's a, there's a good news movement for me. Uh, recently, Alicia and Karen and myself and Taylor Greer and Megan Cowell from Bethany West Seattle all attended a two-day conference um, led by Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil. And Taylor and Megan and myself were part of a cohort on race and justice with Dr. Brenda in 2021. And this is the second annual kind of conference convening uh, different thought leaders around race and justice around the country, really. And um, it was pretty, pretty encouraging. And also, Dr. Brenda had some words that felt like a prophetic call for the church that for me as a leader felt really important. And I was there under Dr. Brenda's leadership, not as a leader, but as a follower. I was there not with a microphone, but a notebook. Silas and I were talking about earlier, like be wary of leaders that only show up when they've got a microphone in their hands, right? So like all of us should be learners. And so, you know, I have a microphone today, but there's many other settings where I just go as a learner. And as Dr. Brenda was speaking to pastors and, and thought leaders for the church from around the country, you know, she said, you know, it was like almost like a throwaway thing for her in between sessions. She said, young people, she teaches at SPU among her other work in the church. And she said, young people are tired of the relationship-centered work we've called reconciliation. And then, you know, like the crowd's like, all right, and kind of talking back to her. She said, reconciliation work has lost its way prophetically. If we're going to go big, we need to move to a place where the spirit is leading us. We need the spirit. And she said, you know, we're not just, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion agents for like our church, our organization. Like we need to be people prophetically led by the Holy Spirit. And, And then she said this, and it was so powerful. 
She said, people keep asking us to write books, but we're writing old stories. We need a new movement in the church around reconciliation, around justice, inspired through the Holy Spirit. She said, this is the secret sauce. And this is the, the marrying together of, you know, are, are we, is Bethany going to be this justice church or as a discipleship church? And we're like, yes, that's the church. And what's happening here in Acts 15 is these new voices are emerging. And basically the church is kind of being formed into two churches, the Jewish church and the Gentile church. And we see that happening in our American experiment all around us today of like, okay, well, what kind of church are they? Are they like a praying Bible church? Are they a marching and justice church? Are they a vote this way church? And the moment is now through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry if I'm getting animated. Like I'm, I'm going to try to bring it down here. But I, I, it's very important. It's very important that we take this prophetic call to become a church that can be formed by the Holy Spirit in the way the early church was and doing true and active work to, to disable any structure or system that disempowers the image of God and others. And in this regard, our justice becomes our evangelism. Our truth-telling becomes our discipleship. Like, this is the good news. This is the through line that becomes not like, okay, we're more agitated and being pulled away, but us, it, it's the spirit that forms us together. And so... In that regard, we're going to be diving in here to Acts 15. Um, my aim is um, that we would be looking at, through the scriptures today, the, the restoration results. We're week four of a series on restoration. Like, What are the results of this? To be a church seeing restoration results will need to be a church that is leading on discussions of race and justice. We're going to need to be a church that really knows how to listen to the Spirit, certainly, and to new and other voices. And we're going to need to be people that are really hungry for life change. And yes, I did just alliterate there because, as Andrew knows, every sermon has three points, and they all have to start with the same letter. So we're leading, we're listening, our lives are being transformed. Restoration results through the Spirit are really possible to a church being formed by the Holy Spirit, to be activated, to be people of justice people of the word. So let's, let's look at our first thing here on this leadership for restoration to occur, for us to see some results as a church that's really becoming formed by the spirit of God. Leadership is needed. Leadership is needed. And by that, I don't mean like, oh, so like the church leaders need to do their job. Yes. But I'm also saying like for all of us, the priests of all believers, like we are the leaders. You are. And you might be like, I'm just here really just checking Jesus out today. If you become a follower of Jesus, you're a leader in, in, a, in a community desperate to see the good news of Jesus Christ. So what happens here in Acts 15, this starting in verse 5, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, then Peter got up and said, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles would hear from my lips the message of the gospel and receive. God knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. 
He did not discriminate between us and them. There's not two churches. There's just one. He purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved just as they are. Again, leadership is needed. What exactly is happening in the Jerusalem Council? It's really a sermon series, but just to set some context here, in Acts 15, in verses 1 through 5, there's a rising conflict ever since Pentecost in Acts 2 between the barriers between how to be a Christian. And in Acts 15, these, you know, the Pharisees said, unless you're circumcised, the first words out of their mouth in chapter 15, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. The church has this growing, like, it's the Jewish tradition, it's, it's the Gentile people. Silas talked about this a little bit last week. It's, it's what Galatians is trying to disempower. It's what Ephesians, it's happening all around the Mediterranean. As the church rises up, there are these voices that say, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be formed by the dominant culture. The Jewish people, the Jewish tradition, you have to act a certain way. Your body must be formed a certain way. It's being prescriptive. This word unless in Acts 15.1 is really haunting to me. Even this morning as I was like praying over it, it's like how often in our discipleship circles are we using the word unless? The first word out of our mouths should never be unless. It should be like, Lord, show us. What are you doing? Lord, lead us. And there was this fear in the early church that unless the Gentiles, you know, changed and, and kind of entered into the Jewish lifestyle, that the Jewish dominant culture would lose its distinctives. Racism is bound in fear about distinctives. It's bound up in this idea about power and control, about dominant culture being replaced. And if you listen to the news cycle, it's, you know, it's this thing of like, unless... You know, Acts 15.1. I mean, turn on news. It's the same sort of thing. Unless we maintain power. Unless people do a certain thing at our borders. Unless, unless. I mean, this is the problem with racial divides. Where we are emphasizing a dominant culture and forcing all people to kind of be led by, you know, kind of this, you know, white supremacy that has kind of dominated the American government system for the last 300 years. Silas talked a lot about that last week. Galatians 2, the gospel is going to call us out from the power structures we know into a new family where every tribe, nation, and tongue is represented in equal measure. Galatians 2, verses 4 through 5, Paul wrote in Galatians 2, this matter arose, this conflict between Jewish and Gentile church, because false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And so there's this growing conflict from Acts 2, Acts 10, now Acts 15, about like, God, what are you up to? Well, for us to be a church that's kind of moving into people, to be moving into the results of real restoration, we've got to be leaders that speak out against systems and structures that is disempowering, disabling the image of God and others. And in this regard, it's like, I, you know, I've got a microphone today, but I'm passing the microphone to you. Like, what spaces do you speak into? What, what devotional do, will you do with your kids this week? Karen wrote the devotion that our whole church is using this week. And I don't know, for those of you raising kids, it's a wonderful resource. You just sit around in the morning. There's 15 questions laid out in this week's devotion. 
Like what questions are you leading discussion on? In what ways are you stepping into whatever sphere of influence? Every one of us in this room, we have a sphere of influence. And this Acts 15 is just encouraging us to to know the scriptures and, and to continue to speak truth to power when there are systems and structures that are wiping out the image of God in others. In verse 8 and 9 of, uh, of Acts 15 here, it's, you know, it's, I'll read it for you. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted all people by giving the Holy Spirit to them as he did us. He did not discriminate between us and them. He purified their hearts by faith. And this is, this is real leadership. It's, it's being humble, but also speaking truth and saying there is no discrimination in this new family of faith. And so people that put up barriers between real community, people that want to keep people out by powers, and it's saying, no, any power, any structure, any human that subverts or diminishes another human's ability to flourish based on their ethnicity, based on their skin color, based on their culture, that's a voice that needs to be held accountable. Leadership is needed. We can't sit idly by and watch people in the name of Christ especially enslaving others or being committed to the status quo that's protecting a dominant culture. And this is the brokenness that really is in that system that I know for me there's been a lot of learning about what it, you know, what is that white supremacy that just kind of exists in order to maintain control. This is where all of us get to take up the mantle of like leadership is needed. Real Christians say hey, God has a real word in his scriptures about anything that divides us. Around this idea of leadership, uh, it's Brene Brown uh, who says, a leader is anyone who takes responsibility for finding the potential in people and processes and has the courage to develop that potential. Leadership is not about title or the corner office. It's about the willingness to step up and put yourself out there and lean into courage, and you might feel like you don't have the microphone, you don't have the pulpit, you don't... I'm telling you, every one of you in this room, I believe it, everyone, you're a leader. And you get to speak into this work of disempowering hierarchies of racial discrimination. You have been made ready. I love what Dr. King says about leadership. He says, a genuine leader is not a searcher for consensus, but a molder of consensus. And I will say to you, and I don't know a lot of you, we've never needed Christian leaders more. We've never needed people to say, I believe in Jesus, and I believe in his church, and I believe that the church has something to say, spirit-informed, that makes us people of justice. Are we going to be a justice church or a discipleship church? Yes, we're going to be the church. But we've got to take up this call to lead. And this is God's heart, restoration. The people, Karen, Alicia, Taylor, Silas, Raul Perez at North, these people that helped build this sermon series. One of the things that I'm really proud in my work as senior pastor is anointing other thought leaders to work with us to form the future. And this whole sermon series Restoration has been built by a lot of voices of color that say, you know, let's look at life in the spirit amidst racism. Let's talk about disempowering racial systems, but let's do it through acts. Let's look at what the spirit of God does 
through his people fully submitted to it. That's what leadership does. And it's been incredible to look at uh, together as a teaching team through all six locations at just stories of discrimination, stories of disempowerment, stories of marginalization, but the hope in the gospel and leadership to say, this is our story. Now, racism certainly is not an American problem. This is a part of being humans. I mean, all the way back to Acts 15, we have this thing that wants to put rules and barriers and divide. And we see that throughout human history. We see it in, you know, uh, German and Jew in World War II. We see it in uh, Pastor Liddy, who serves me. She talks about Japan-Korean distinctions in her home culture. We see it in Caucasian and indigenous culture. We see just systemic oppression. It's not unique to the American experience, but neither are we excluded from it. And so as Christians in this context, we must evaluate how we are living into that gospel claim that in Christ there are new relationships possible that divide, uh, that don't divide, but tear down dividing lines. And when you start to do that research about our American story, you're like, okay, this is something that as a church, we've got to have more leadership around. In the 2020 census, 60% of America, white, 40% uh, are BIPOC people. But then when you look at the power of our 300 plus year American experiment, 1,314 senators in the U.S. history, only 11 have been black. 116 Supreme Court justices, only three have been black, including two currently. Been 46 presidents, but only one who's a person of color and no females. So we're like, why is that? For, for people, and when you're having conversations, people are like, you know, is, is there structural brokenness around race in America? You just say, you know, the numbers kind of show we've got work to do. And as a Christian, we believe that, you know, the, the scriptures are clear that we become leaders against any system that wants to tear down the image of God and others. That's amazing for me of what the Spirit of God does throughout Acts that even as the Spirit moves, even if they're like seeing, you know, Pentecost, what happens in Pentecost? People are sneering. Oh, they were drinking. You know, Acts 10, it's you know, the amazing thing happens in Cornelius' household. Right after that, the Jews are frustrated. Acts 15, you know, right after this, there's going to be conflict. So I don't like conflict. I really don't. And some of that's by product of being a white male that I've been able to navigate certain spaces without as much conflict as some of my other colleagues, particularly learning a lot about my female colleagues and just the conflict, what it's like to be a female leader in our church. I don't love conflict, but I know that our leadership, I know my leadership is necessary to fight for a church that we can all believe in. Conflict can show that we're working together for what God's doing next. The absence of conflict is often the absence of transformation, where we just kind of check out. We're just going to deconstruct. We're just going to pull back. But the Spirit is calling us in to say this, this inclusion of all people will be costly, but in Christ, we're not promised comfort or control. We're, we're promised revelation. But we've got to be leaders in the work. The reality is, for many of us, it's difficult um, it's difficult to keep working in systems where like, is anybody hearing my voice? Is, is like the church becoming more hopeful or just more broken, siloed? It's been hard to wait in this messy reality that we found ourselves in because many times when we're waiting, our own doubts can set in. I'll tell you a silly story about just the need to wait 
and to be uh, leaders who can wait well by the power of the Spirit and believe that God is going to keep working through our church. This summer, I took my family on an epic road trip to Montana. There was a raft trip, there was fly fishing, there was Glacier National Park and Yellowstone. And we, um, our day in Yellowstone, we were with another family who lives in Bozeman. And uh, we had driven 10 hours from Seattle to Bozeman the day before. Uh, we drove a couple hours from Bozeman down in through West Yellowstone and, you know, each of the parks, all the traffic. I don't know if you've driven in Yellowstone the last couple of years. It's a lot of waiting. And we get to like the final stop of the day. And my youngest son is nine at the time. And he's with these two other, his good buddies who are twins, also nine-year-olds. And we get to Old Faithful. We park way out, you know, and walk across the hot cement, walk across the boardwalk. There's thousands of people gathered. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, we've done Yellowstone recently. And we're waiting. We're waiting for Old Faithful. We're like, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And my son, you know, he's sitting there. And it's like five minutes. It's like ten minutes. Like, can we go get ice cream? Can we go get a snack? Like, we're just kind of done. I'm like, we're here at Yellowstone. We're not going to leave until that geyser goes off. Like, we are not. And he turns to me. He's like, I'm starting to doubt it's even going to happen. I'm starting to not believe in old faithful. I'm like, it's old faithful. Like that sucker goes. But I was like, how long is this going to take? And then as the geyser starts to blow, like it's amazing, actually. If you've never been, it's my first time. I'm 48 years old. But listen, it, it blew and it blew and it blew. And it's really remarkable. It is a wonder of the natural word. I mean, this thing went for like five minutes. And I'm telling you, the waiting set the stage for the wonder. It really did. And I'm not just trying to be cute and trying to alliterate. I'm telling you as a father, they're waiting for it. And them just like, can we just be at the lodge doing ice cream? Like, wow. And friends, I know some of you are waiting for the church to experience the wonder You're waiting for the church to live into its calling as this prophetic, beautiful calling that the scriptures tell us it's meant to be. We're waiting for the beauty. We're waiting for the hope. We're we're waiting for the Revelation 7 where every tribe, nation, tongue, and that good shepherd will wipe every tear from our eyes. And I'm telling you, I, I hope it's true that our waiting is setting the stage for the wonder. Like, may it be so. And I believe it to be true that we've got to be leading in this space while we wait. Waiting is not a code word for complacency. Waiting is not a code word for lack of conflict that doesn't have hard conversation. But waiting in faith that the church is becoming the full revelation that Christ wants us to be. Leadership is needed. And you are like checking your watch. Like he's 20 minutes and we're still in the first point. So either we're going to miss the Seahawks game or he's going to start to speed up. I'm going to speed up. I tell you, I've got like 60 minutes of content for the next... 10 minutes, but it's going to be good. There's a lot to say. I want to say something else from Acts 15. For restoration to occur, this is really powerful. It comes from the text. Listening is needed. So certainly leaders are needed, hard conversations, truth to power, speaking against white supremacy. God's got a better way, yes. But what Acts 15 models in almost a counterculture way, it blows our mind, is that listening is needed. 
And if you have your Bibles open, or you can look behind the slide, like look up, pick up Acts 15, verse 12. The whole assembly, as Peter is speaking, the whole assembly became silent as then they heard testimony of Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they had finished, James spoke up and said, Brothers, listen to me, too. Silence to listen, prescriptive listening. Simon's described to us how God intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. And he starts to quote the Old Testament. After this, I'll return. I'll rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I'll rebuild. I'll restore it. That the rest of humankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord. Who does these things known from long ago? It's mind-bending to me as a leader in a faith community that in a sense of conflict, the whole assembly became silent. It's really not how we lead now or how we experience conflict now. Everyone's got a voice. Everyone's got this like, oh, I don't think you're doing it right. But a great question to ask in the midst of discerning what God's doing, particularly around issues of racial reconciliation, who are you listening to? And are you allowing yourself to be formed by voices that have been marginalized through our history? Are you listening not to the white males in your life, like bless our hearts. Are you listening to other voices that will tell you about their life experience? Last week I was at Bethany North. I preached Acts 10. And one of the things I said, I thought it was, you know, like kind of a throwaway statement even. Talking about like, hey, you might... You might still be struggling to understand how race and these systems of oppression are still impacting people in our community, but I encourage you, particularly people with lighter pigment like myself, ask questions to people of color to say, how has your life been impacted by race? How has racism impacted your life? And I had this old woman, bless her heart, I love her, came up after the service and she said, I've never thought about asking a person of color, what their experience has been like growing up in America or immigrating to America. And I think this is a posture for us of all skin color in this room, but this posture of humility that allows ourselves to listen. Certainly listen to the Holy Spirit. That's all over Acts 15. Like the reason they're so willing to kind of form a new path is because they're listening to the Spirit. And friends, if we're going to be a justice church, like I said earlier, we've got to be a Holy Spirit church. We've got to be deeper and deeper tuned into what God is saying to us, our habits, our postures of of listening to the Lord, of listening to the Holy Spirit, practicing the habits of our faith, not to check the box and say, okay, Jesus loves me again. No, but to be listening. God, what are you saying? I'm going into my classroom. I'm going into my my Boeing cubicle. I'm, I'm going into the carpool. I'm going into just life as a mother, father, or a roommate. Spirit, speak. I want to listen. And then in our human relationships, our horizontal relationships, a posture of learning, a posture of curiosity. That's where restorations form. People listening both to God and to others. And that's what happens in Acts 15. They quote this Old Testament verse, and I love that they use the word restoration. How convenient for us in our sermon series. This word restoration, if we're able to listen to what God wants to do through his scriptures, it's all through the Bible that God will restore us when we humbly listen to him. Zephaniah 3, at that time, I'll gather you, I'll bring you home, 
I'll give you honor and praise among your people. I will restore your fortunes before your very eyes. This through line of restoration. Jeremiah 30, I'll restore you to health. I'll heal your wounds, declares the Lord. First Peter, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while, himself will restore you and make you strong and firm. Are you listening? Like this word of restoration, what the Spirit wants to do in our life and restoring broken cultures around us. Psalm 15, uh, sorry, 51, the, the psalmist writes, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit. Sustain me. This is this kind of beautiful connection that's happening in Acts 15 where this work of justice and inclusion and, you know, kind of announcing how God is tearing down the dividing line and this work of listening to the Holy Spirit, this discipleship church. I keep watching the church kind of being moved to the margins around America that wants to have this false dichotomy of like the justice-minded church, the spirit-filled church. And it's like, oh my word, it's the church. I really lament how some of my friends in some of the most spirit charismatic churches are taking up the wrong call to action that frankly looks a little bit like Christian nationalism. I just hunger for Bethany in the season ahead to be this justice-minded, spirit-filled place listening to disparate voices, listening to the Holy Spirit, listening. God, what do you want to do through us? So restoration, may it be so. Leadership is needed, myself and others. We're all leaders. Listening is needed. Listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to other voices. How have you been impacted by race? In what ways has race been used to divide? And then finally here, the first, I'm sorry, the third point from our outline is about life change. Restoration to occur. May there be real life change. May there be real change in our life? Would real people see the results of restoration? Would there be a new prophetic movement where the church would wake up and take up this call and this mantle? Like Dr. Brennan said, would we not be telling old stories? Would there be a newness and a freshness that's bringing new life and bringing new hope and bringing new inclusion? And that our church would look like not a diversity, equity, inclusion case study, but that we would look like that place that's really called to live out these scriptures where lives are being changed by the power of the gospel. Verse 19, Acts 15, where James, the leader of the church there in Jerusalem, he's like, it's my judgment as a leader and having listened that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I mean, wow. Lives are being transformed by the gospel. And James is like, we need to follow suit with what God's doing. We need real life change so that we're not instilling false barriers on inclusion into our fellowship because God is in the activity of changing lives. He's like, our fellowship needs to look different. Our lives need to look different. And friends, as, as the leader of this community, the greater fellowship, it is the mantle that I carry, but I do it with pride right now that we want to be a church that's part of real life change. Not to get everyone to vote a certain way. We're not trying to build the next YMCA. No, to living authentically as the church, as Christ has empowered us to do. Speaking truth to power. Transformed relationships. Learning to listen to the Holy Spirit. Seeing God move in new and powerful ways. I want to be part of a church like that. I love the baby crawling out. That baby wants to be part of a church like that. That we would be experiencing God's 
hope together. So just some questions as you are kind of going into your week, like where in scripture and in your experiences, I feel like God's welcome is maybe bigger than your expectations at times. Where does God want to surprise you and overwhelm limits that you've put on other people? Where does God want to reach into your life for real restoration? Where does God want to use your leadership in order to disempower systems and structures that have marginalized other people? Where does God want to make you a listener, want to make you a learner? Where does God want to bring you to life? It has never been more powerful for us to be this church. It's a hard time to be a church. It is a good time for us to be a church. There are systems based on this narrative of racial differences, as Brian Stevenson talks about, that want to push us apart. But the Spirit of God is the one shared mission that could actually be the real life change we need. In the 1950s in America, there was an experiment done in Oklahoma at a kid's youth camp called the Robber's Cave Experiment. Some of you have heard about this. This was led by a researcher named, I forget, in the moment. He was an immigrant himself. He was studying social change in America. And in the Robber's Cave, he sought to bring kids together to say, if enough inputs are added, we can actually make these children actually, strangely, most of these kids were white. We can make different groups hate each other by creating an otherness to the, to the fellowship. Now, he, you can never do this in this day and age. He, he told these parents, we have a free summer camp for your kids. And they showed up to camp to be in the experiment, unbeknownst to them. Uh, the researchers, uh, you know, they broke them into two teams. The researchers told stories of what the other boys were saying to them. They, the researchers would, you know, break into the camps while the boys were out doing arts and crafts and turn all their clothes upside out, even like lit their team flag apart. They would have these competitions. They set the kids against each other in order to watch what happens. And sure enough, There's enough inputs that when we other another group of people by their skin tone, by their story, by their experience, we see it in Acts 15, we see it in racial systems in America, what happens is we begin to hate each other, we begin to distrust each other. It happened with these boys, similar background, but with the experimenters pulling the right levers, these boys began to hate each other until the end of the week when... A shared obstacle was put before the boys. The researchers, again, can't do this anymore in any setting in America. They cut off the water supply to the boys. They, they said there was a rock slide up the mountain. The boys had no drinking water. And then they gathered all of the boys who hated each other. Like there had been fist fights within a course of a week. They had be turned on each other. But they said, hey, you, no one has water. These boys are actually thirsty. You got to go up the mountain, try to figure it out together. And so these boys, kicking and screaming and kind of like, oh, I hate you. They head up this mountain. And sure enough, they find a rock slide over the water source. And almost like a made-for-TV movie. You can't make this stuff up. The researchers are watching, unbeknownst to the boys. They learn with a shared obstacle how to work together. They learned these stones are too heavy, but if three of them are on each stone, and then they started a chain game, they removed the obstacles. They got the water to flow again. And the boys came down the mountain, 
The, the divisions were down. They weren't like, you know, singing and hugging, but they were learning to not hate each other again because of a shared obstacle. Well, I find this robber's cave experiment helpful for us in the church right now is there's an otherness in so much of our fellowship. We have a shared obstacle. It's called racism. It's called any worldly force that wants to divide us as God's people from being able to love each other. And though the world keeps trying to kind of force us apart and put us in a tug of war, like literally, and and turn us in against each other, it's actually through the Spirit of God that our life change happens. And the shared obstacle of like, you know what? That's not the way God intended. Let's head up that mountain together and be reminded in our leadership, in our listening, the lives are being transformed. Like the, the through line for the church is something to say that is about justice. It's Rich Villadas, a deeply formed life, one of the leading BIPOC pastors in the nation right now. He says, you know, our justice work is our evangelism work. It is what the next generation is hungry to say. Like, will you actually do the truth the way the early church did? Will you be listening for how God wants to do something new? That's the church that I want to be part of. That's a church we're trying to be together. That's where real results of restoration happens. It happens together. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for some words from your scripture and just reminders, God, of the way in which, though divisions have been part of our story forever and in our particular moment, God, racism is just working to distract your image of yourself in so many people. And there are systems of oppression and structures that keep people marginalized. And God, there's voices of hate that want to just put us on the opposite end of a tug of war with other churches, other people, other cultures. God, call us out. Call us up. Call us in together to be using whatever voice and leadership we have to be speaking out against systems and structures of oppression. To be really listening to voices of color in our community to be listening to your spirit, God. And may we be a church that's doing the real work of life change. May we experience only through your spirit, God, the hope and the good news of your gospel, the tear down dividing walls, that we'd be filled with your spirit, God. We hunger for so much, God, to be this rare place where justice is being proclaimed and real discipleship is being, uh, being taught. God, help us be a church like that. We love you. We need you more than ever before. God, help us awaken the hunger to be a church like this. And all God's people said, amen. I want to just pray for you as uh, we go into a final worship song. Andrew's going to play some music under this because we've worked for weeks on this specific moment. This is... um, my friend, she really is, Dr. Brenda. Um, I mentioned, you know, at the top, she was saying a new, a new movement is needed for the church to really regain our witness. And she shared this week a prayer for those of us in the work of restoration. It's a prayer of hope. It's a word of blessing. And I'm not sure uh, exactly where the Spirit spoke to you uh, during this message, but I didn't want to leave... Um, this pulpit before I got a chance to just say a real clear word of blessing to you. 
to the leaders in the room, I just want to I just want to bless you. Keep serving. Keep showing up. Keep believing in the power of the church. We need your optimism. We need your hope. We need you more than ever before. People feel like, man, I'm not really a leader. I just want to commission you. But this is what the church has really needed now more than ever before. So this is a word, Dr. Brenda, she's quoting an author. I'm just going to speak it over you as a prayer and a blessing. Receive it now. Lord, we acknowledge that you're a God who does not rush us through our pain. You are a God who made us for process, like a gardener planting a seed and waiting for new life to emerge. God, you tend our bodies. God, you tend our minds. God, you tend our souls. Lord, you make a way for our growth. You make a way for our hope. You make a way for our restoration, God. May it be so. Lord, you make a way for our mending. You make a way for us to love. Lord, our good shepherd, make paths where none have ever been. Loving God, will you sustain us? Will you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much again for this day, for this church, for this movement of your spirit. Lord, help us enter the work of restoration where you're calling us forward. In your name we pray. Amen.